Good morning, brothers and sisters. Great to be with you this morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible and open the book. We're going to walk through God's Word this morning together, and we are continuing through 1 John. So go ahead and turn to 1 John. Right around chapter 2 is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. And if you are a guest or visiting or maybe just not been around for a little while, uh, we are walking through this incredible letter of the New Testament, verse by verse, and we're uh, just diving down into this thing together as a church family. If you don't own a Bible uh, or don't have one with you this morning, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. I invite you to take that. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. You feel free to take that home with you. You can follow along on the app. A lot more notes that you can use on the app there. It walks through the message. want to make that available to you. And also, what does it look like for a church to walk through a book of the Bible together? In a lot of different ways we're doing that right now. One is we're reading through 1 John together in our own time. Uh, hope you're taking part of that. Great way to dig into God's Word with one another in your life group. Uh, reading plan is available. You can pick one of these up uh, in print right outside the door here. You can go on the app. There's a reading guide there. Uh, in our life groups, I hear and I know there's some good lively discussion going on around 1 John. Because 1 John is one of those books that just cuts right to the quick sometimes. And I know there's some good discussion going on in our life groups. And then also if you are looking kind of for a place to connect every Wednesday night, 6.30, right downstairs here, we have what's called Behind the Message. And you kind of come in and out as your schedule allows, but we'll take what is taught here on Wednesday night and, or on Sunday morning, try to dive down into that a little deeper and invite you to be a part of that on Wednesday night if you don't have a place to connect yet in the life of our church, all right? So 1 John, let's continue on. The question this morning, really, that's going to steer our time is this question, how do we know who knows God? That's really the question of 1 John. That's the question that John wrestles with here. And I want to illustrate that this morning. There's an old saying, and you might reveal your age by knowing this saying, but it goes like this. Um, what's down in a well comes up in a bucket. That's right. One of you knew that. I'll be just introduce some of you to a saying. It goes like this. How do you know what's down in a well? Now think about that for a minute. So that, let's say you're hiking and, and you're just really dehydrated and you're so thirsty. My family and I took a hike yesterday up Bays Mountain up to the far tar, as they call it here, but the fire tower is what it's called. But anyway, <laughs> some of you need a translator for that, but I'm not going to say any more. I could just go on about that, but. So we took a hike, and we got really thirsty by the time we got up the top. We forgot to take water. And so what if you're hiking along, and man, you're just parched, and you come to something like this as you're hiking along. It's a well. Before you drink out of that well, I, you're going to be really curious what's down in that well. So you may come up to that well, and there would be a sign on the well that would say something like this. Fresh water. But guess what? You can't always believe what you read, right? There might be a group of people around uh, that well, and they're saying, listen, it's fresh water down in that well. You can trust it. You can drink it. But you can't always believe what you hear, right? Amen? So how do you know what's down in that well? And here's another reality about wells. I'm not a well expert, but here's what I know. If that well is tapped into a fresh source, a, a, a source of living fresh water, that's what's going to come up out of that well. 
But if that well is not tapped into, they haven't dug down deep enough, whatever it is, they're not tapped into a source of fresh, clean water. I don't care how many buckets you pull up, you're not going to pull up fresh water out of that well, right? Ultimately, how do you know what's down in a well? It's pretty simple. It's what comes up out of that well. There's no getting around it. There's no disguising it. What's down in that well, even though you can't see it, no matter what the sign may say, no matter what other people may say, what's down in that well is what's going to come up out of that well. Now, Pastor Mike, that's a neat illustration, all that. What does that have to do with 1 John? Here's what the Apostle John is writing to a group of churches and, and believers about. He's dealing with this issue. How do you know for sure what is down in the well of your soul? How do you know? And can you know for sure? Or do you have to kind of live your whole life wondering, well, what, what is the condition of my soul? How do you know who knows God? That's the question John's wrestling with here. and we, We're continuing to walk through this letter together, and that's going to be a, one of the themes weaved through this whole letter. And as we've been talking, as you're reading on your own, it's really important to know the context. So remember, the Apostle John is writing to several groups of people here at this church. One group of people at this church is who we call the fakes, or as Pastor Daniel calls them, the posers, right? As he resurrected a word from the 80s last week, I think. That's a fake. That's somebody who pretends to be something they're not. And they had great influence in this church, and they'd come in and they'd begin saying, we are the enlightened ones. We have had these ecstatic experiences with God, and God is speaking to us, and we are up here spiritually, and you are way down here spiritually, and they were fakes. And John writes this letter, one of the reasons to expose the fakes. Then there was another group there that had been heavily influenced by the fakes, and they were believing some of this junk they were telling them of what it really means to know God and all that, and these were those who were just deceived. They, they would say with great confidence, we know God. Problem was, there was nothing in their life to indicate that that was a reality. Nothing. Then you had another group of people here that John was writing to, and that's those that were true believers. They had placed faith in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ, and John is deeply concerned about this group because this false teaching and all this junk that had been floating around, it left them with no assurance or no confidence that they truly know God. And they were just mixed up. And John writes, and we'll probably say this verse almost every week. John writes, 1 John 5, 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. So he writes to this group and he says, Listen, you don't need to be bobbing and weaving and up and down and doubts just filling your mind constantly. Can you know that you know God? Yes, John says. There are objective tests, if you will, to know what's down in that well by what comes out in your life. And that's what John writes, and that's where we're going. It's very challenging for us. The book of 1 John is so applicable and so challenging to us, especially if you've grown up in the Bible Belt and all the different things you might hear about what it really means to know God and how you can know you know God and what does that look like. And Man, 1 John is so helpful to us. 
So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read several verses. We're going to read 3 through 11. If you've been following along in the reading plan, that's what you would have read yesterday to kind of get a head start. So I'm going to read down through some of these verses. With all that context, we'll make some application to our lives. So you can follow along. Verse 3 of chapter 2. So with all that said, John writes, he says, By this, by this we know that we have come to know him. Remember the question, how do we know who knows God? So John begins, he says, okay, by this we can know that we've come to know him. Now remember, I said a couple weeks ago, and you may have forgotten this, but as you're reading through 1 John, as we're teaching through 1 John, verb tenses matter. Remember that? Say, no, I don't remember that. Well, that's okay. Verb tenses matter. Is it, is it what's going on now? Is he referring to something in the past? Is he referring to something in the future? So go back and read verse 3 again. By this we know, present, now. Right now in our lives we can know something. What? That we've come to know him, past. We can know something in the present that we claim happens in the past. How? If we are keeping, present tense, if we keep his commandments. John's going to give a couple of tests, if you will, or evidence of the reality of what's down in the soul. He says, here's one. We know that we've come to know God if we are, present tense, keeping his commandments. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. John says, there's one who says, verse 4, because again, in these churches there were a lot who were saying things. He says, there's one who says, I've come to know him. In our language, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I go to this church, yada, yada, all the churchy terms we might use. He says, there's one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments. Now pause right there. John is saying, there's one who says, I know him, but there's no pattern in his life whatsoever of obedience. There's no pattern in his life of honoring God's word or what God says matters to him. If that's this person, John says, this person can say whatever he wants. He goes on and says, and does not keep his commandments, this person is a liar. John is not strongly politically correct in this letter, right? You say, well, how... How rude! Let me tell you something. One of the most unloving things you can do is some, know that someone is believing a lie and you don't love them enough to tell them. John loves his people. He knows that they've been believing a lie and it's affected their joy, it's affected their fruitfulness, it's affected their fellowship, and some of them it's affecting their eternal life because they're believing a lie. And he says, listen, you got some there that are saying, I know God. And there's no evidence of obedience in their life. There's no heart change. There's no pattern of honoring, honoring God's word. Here's what I need you to know. They are liars. He says that out of the deepest love that he can muster. And he says the truth is not in them, in the verse 4. Because, watch this, the truth that is in you will come out of you. Well, bucket, remember, what's down a well, comes out of the bucket, right? Same for our soul. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, this is the person who knows God and 
their disposition toward his word is changed because their soul has been changed. What about this person? In him, in this person, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. We'll come back and talk about that in just a minute. Verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. In other words, the one who says, I know God, I know Jesus, Jesus lives in me, is going to bear an increasing resemblance in our lives to the life of Jesus. Because Jesus lives in us as believers. That's what John's saying, verse 7, beloved. He says, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. What are you talking about, John? Well, these false teachers here, they really prize themselves on new revelation and new truth and new stuff from God. John says, listen, I'm not teaching anything new. I'm teaching you an old commandment that's from the very beginning. This commandment's as old as the gospel. So I'm not teaching anything new. I'm teaching you the same stuff you've heard from the beginning. It's not new in that sense. And then he comes, he says, into verse 7, the old commandment, which is the word which you have heard. Nothing new. Verse 8. But on the other hand, I am writing you a new commandment. Well, which is it, John? Well, we'll get to that. In one sense, there's nothing new about what he's saying. But in another sense, it's completely new because it's been revealed and manifested in a brand new way. John is going to command them to love one another. He says God's been commanding that from the beginning, but it's brand new now. You know why? Because I've watched Jesus Christ live it out for three and a half years. A new manifestation. I've watched it lived out in the life of Christ. It's new. Verse 8. Verse 9. Therefore, the one who says, kind of same mantra, there's that similar formula. The one who says, he's saying a lot, that he's in the light and yet is hating his brother, is in the darkness until now. It's inconsistent. The one who loves his brother, the one whose life is categorized consistently by love for others, particularly the brothers and sisters in Christ. This person, the one who loves his brother, is abiding in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in his life. Verse 11. But the one who hates his brother, or present tense, the one who is hating his brother, is in the darkness until now. He is walking in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Wow. Man, this is tough stuff. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to give you a big truth to kind of consolidate all the stuff we just read. And we'll kind of ping all this big truth and then give us some... Uh, uh, big ideas as we walk through. So big truth, I, I think, would be this, that, uh, uh, j- what we just read. So big truth is this, that those who know God, and First John uses the term know God, and that's consistent. That's the same word as saying uh, born again, eternal life, saved, transformed, Christ in me. All those terms are the same idea of knowing God. Those who know God are clearly known by undeniable and ever-increasing evidence in their daily lives. That's not, I didn't come from me. That's what John says here. And that's the letter of 1 John. Those who truly know God, born again by faith in Christ, are known. How? How can you know who knows God? Man, there is undeniable and ever-increasing evidence in their daily lives. 
John, how can you make such a statement like that? Or how, how can he say the things he says here and then let's kind of draw this truth out? How, how can we say that? This is, well, those who know God, there's going to be evidence in their lives. How can John say that? We have two reasons. First reason is this. The basis of John's arguments, very important to us, is this. Who God is. In other words, in chapter 1, John said this. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. John says, listen, you have to understand the basis of this statement for you to say, you know God. God is in you. You're in him. You have a relationship. You're in union with God. And God is light. It is impossible for you to make the claim that you know God who is very light, no sin, no darkness, no shadow, and it doesn't change your life. Impossible. No way. That's what John's saying. Then he gets to John, 1 John 4, and he makes another statement. We'll get there in a few weeks. He says, God is love. He says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is what? And you better get your mind around that statement. It doesn't say, okay, God tries really hard to be loving. <laughs> and God has this book that tells him how to love, and God uh, uh, obeys this book. No, 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 you understand. God doesn't come up under some standard of love that he abides by. God is love. Just let that sink in for a minute. God doesn't, okay, I, I better do this because it's the loving thing to do. Whatever God does, that defines love because God is is love he's the expression of love he's the essence of love it's who he is so John says hey if you're trying to make the claim that the God who is love is in you and you know him and you show no love for God's people no way no way you are fooling yourself and you're fooling those around you. But you want to know how you can know for sure that you know this God? He is light. It changes the way you see. It changes your perspective on life. He is love. It changes the way you relate to others. Your disposition towards people is different. There will be these evidences of God in you that you know him. And John's going to give us at least two of these evidences here. See that? John's argument is based first on who God is. John's argument, secondly, very quickly, is based on this. What it means to truly know God. See, there were those that, like many, I, I, let's be honest with one another. In our Bible Belt church culture around the area we live in, East Tennessee, it's easy to say, I know God. Easy. Costs us Nothing. Pastor Daniel's in a place this morning in China working with believers where you don't have a bunch of people going around saying, I know God, if they don't truly know God, because it costs you something. So it's easy here. So how do we know? How do we, this idea of knowing God, it's not this intellectual awareness. Well, I know God. I know he exists. No, no, no. That's not what John means here to know God. It's not just theological understanding. Well, I understand some truths about him. No, no, no. It's not just that. It's certainly not just religious activity. Watch. This is huge. The Apostle Paul, 
his story was he was filled with religious activity. He had a ton of knowledge about God. He had been taught about God his whole life. But his testimony was he was dead in sin until... His testimony is this from the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul says, But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Paul says, I had all the junk, I had all the externals, and God in his grace pursued me. He revealed himself to me in the person of Jesus Christ. And oh man, when I saw Jesus for who he was, and I saw my sin for what it was, I clung in faith to the person of Jesus Christ, and that's what it meant to come to know God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and faith in him and him alone. And Paul gives that whole testimony in Philippians chapter 3. And we won't take time to read it all. But he said, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. You know him? John continues to write. He says, how do we know who knows him? In this section here, he gives a couple evidences. So let me just give you a few more Big truth, those who know God are clearly known by undeniable and ever-increasing evidence in our daily lives. So help us, John. What are some of these evidences? Let me give you two of them. The first one's in verse 3 and 4. So how do we know who knows God? Verse 3, John writes, and go back up there. He says this, by this we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Give you some big ideas. Big idea number one is this. Knowing God is demonstrated by obedience to his word. Knowing God is demonstrated in the lives of those who know God, of those who have truly come to know Christ, of the Spirit of God living within us by faith alone. One of the demonstrations that he says is obedience to the word of God. Now listen to me really clear. 1 John does not say you come to know God by obeying His Word. That's legalism. That's not gospel. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to try so hard to keep the Word. Then I'll be accepted by God. Then I'll be loved by God. I'll live my life. I'll be good. I'll be religious. You can't be good. You're dead in your sin. John says, listen, those whose eyes have been opened and God has revealed himself and they place faith in the person of Christ, their heart is going to be so changed. There'll be a disposition. There'll be a longing. There'll be an unction. There'll be power. I want to keep his word. What God says matters to me. And I'll just tell you, apart from the spirit of Christ within a person, why in the world would you care what God says? It's only because the spirit of God dwells in those who by faith have trusted Jesus, and evidence of it, an evidence of that reality, John says, is keeping his word. Now circle that little word keep. You want to do a good word study. Do a word study on the word keep. 
It's throughout the letter of 1 John. It's throughout the gospel of John. The word keep means to guard something, to treasure something, to value something highly. It means literally a watchful eye, to give attention to, to hold fast. In other words, the whole disposition toward what comes from the mouth of God changes for a believer because of the presence of Christ in us. I give a watchful eye. I have a new disposition. I hunger. I keep the word of God. Does this mean perfect obedience? Of course not. He's already dealt with that in 1 John 1 when he says, look, if you say you don't have any sin, you deceive yourself. We're all going to have sin. We're imperfect. But there's a new disposition and a new striving and a new longing. This word keep is a beautiful word. The word keep, it's the same word that's used in John 17, 11, if you want to write that down, when Jesus is praying to the Father about us and about all the believers, and Jesus prays to the Father and says, Father, I pray to you, Holy Father, that you will keep them in your name. Keep them, Father. Guard, watchful eye, something of value, something that is treasured. In other words, the same disposition that the father has toward his children is now the disposition that his children have toward his word. You get that? That's a good one. That's a really good one. That wasn't even in my notes, by the way. Same disposition God has toward his children when we become children of God will be the disposition we have towards what comes from his mouth. Because he's our father. It matters. See that? Oh, don't see this as some empty law code. Jesus said, John 14, 21, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He doesn't say, listen, if you keep my commandments, I'm going to love you. That's not what Jesus said. He said, you want to know, you want to know who, who is loving me and demonstrating that love? And, the love of, and my love is in them. It's the one who walk in obedience to what I say. As a child to a loving father. See that? Verse 24, he says, I'm in John 14, 24. He says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. In other words, obedience is an overflow of a love relationship with Jesus Christ made possible through faith, empowered by the Spirit of God dwelling within us that manifests itself in loving obedience to God and His Word. And for the person who says, listen, I got Jesus, I made a profession, I'm good, and there's no evidence of a pattern of obedience of the Word of God and keeping the Word of God, John would say, you have no assurance whatsoever that you know God. None. But to the one who can look back over their life and see a pattern of loving God's word and desiring. Oh, listen, more than just empty law code, not I've checked off the box. The whole revealed will of God as made known in his word is what we want to bring our lives up under because God lives within us. Is that pattern in your life over the past 5, 10, 20 years since you've come to know Christ? Perfectly? No. Man, I couldn't imagine. My, my, my daily course of my life is shaped by what God says. My relationships are shaped by what God says. Why? Because I love Him. Because I know He loves me. 
<laughs> Amen. Thank you, Miss Mary. You encouraged me. <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet. Let Miss Mary go. It's awesome. Now listen, what is your relationship right now to God's Word? Listen to what Jesus said, John 14, 15. He says, <laughs> He says, if you love me, you'll keep, there's that word again, keep my commandments. And do not hear this this way. I'll love you if you keep my commandments. That's not what it says. Nor does it say, now listen, this is, If you love me, you keep my commandments. That's the way I heard it most of my life, by the way. Jesus says this. If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, man, you keep my commandments. Perfectly? No, that's why I came to die for you, because you can't keep them perfectly. Man, there'll be a longing in your heart as a child to his father that what my father says matters. And man, I want to align my life to the word of my living God and father because he loves me. And as I obey, I grow in my love for him and I grow to tangibly know his love for me as I walk in obedience. The opposite of that is 1 John 5, 3. We won't take time to look at it closely. We'll be there in a few weeks. But John says... For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. There were plenty in the church here, these deceivers and those who had been to see. They said, listen, you don't, don't worry about the words of God. Don't worry about the commands of God. Don't worry what Jesus said. It's so limiting. It's a yoke. Don't you be giving me commands. Don't you tell me to obey. Come on, man. We're free. Those are burdensome commands. That's not from a redeemed heart. Is not. John goes on, he says, first evidence is this, is those who know God, they're, they're going to strive to keep God's word. Secondly, read on down verse 5, he says, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. He says it again. How do you know? By this we know we're in him. says nothing about emotions. He says nothing about feelings. says nothing about, man, I had this experience 20 years ago that I walked down an aisle. says nothing about that. By the way, there'll be mornings that you wake up, many of them, that you don't feel like a Christian, right? And if you, if you hang your assurance on how you feel throughout the day, you're going to be just like some of these in 1 John. You're going to be ebbing and flowing up and down with all these doubts. John says, this is how we know. Man, is there a longing created by the Spirit of God in us, lived out in obedience for the Word of God, His truth? And when that happens, here's the second big idea. Obedience to God's Word gives assurance of God's love. Obedience to his word gives assurance of his love. What does that mean? I don't even understand that. The word perfected means to bring something to its intended goal. It brings something to its intended goal. In other words, the point is, how do we tangibly on a day in and day out basis know and experience the love of God? By his commands that he has given to us for our good and for our protection and for our flourishing 
See, the heart that is not regenerate, that doesn't know God, looks at the commands of God as burdensome and limited, and I want nothing of it. I'm going to come up with some excuse why it doesn't apply to me, yada, 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 yada. But the one who has the Spirit of God living within us, we, like a child playing in the street, it may not make sense to us, but when the Father says, Son, get out of the street! Our first inclination in the flesh is, but I love it here in the street. It's so fun. And a half mile down the road is the tractor trailer barreling our way, but we can't see it and we don't know it. But our God, watch this, this is huge, who loves us perfectly, who loves us infinitely, who has all knowledge, sees it all, and says in his love, as an extension of his love, get out street and the commands of God that say don't are intended to keep us from harm and it's just like that child of the father says and we're going to the park go to the park son never been to the park I really like it in the street I don't know what's there I don't like it I like it I don't then he goes to the park and he realizes the command of his father has been for his good and the park is a place he couldn't imagine that there's a place to play and there's all the green grass and the trees and there's water there and it's just beautiful and he's thriving he enjoyed the love of his father in a tangible way when he obeyed the commands of his father see that so Jesus to help us in this this is John 15, 10. If you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love. There'll be a tangible expression of my love throughout your day to guide you from, steer you to, from the heart of a Father that is infinitely loving to you. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. So One of the clear evidences here, a couple things he says is, those who know God are going to keep God's word. They're going to strive to obey God's word. And then as we do that, the assurance of God's love will grow and flourish in our lives. Now keep reading. Verse 7, he's going to give another evidence. We'll talk about that for just a minute and then close. So then he says, Beloved, he said, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment's the word which you've heard. You've heard this commandment about loving one another. It's nothing new. But on the other hand, I'm writing you a new commandment, which is true. Now, watch this little phrase in verse 8. This is the key. He says, this new commandment, this new expression of it, is true in him. Who's the him? Jesus, Messiah. This expression of loving one another is true in him, and it's true in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Talking about the day of Messiah has come. So he says, listen, I can talk about this command of loving one another because I've seen it manifested in the Son of God perfectly. It is in Him and now by knowing God and walking with Him, it is in you because He lives in you. Then he goes on, verse 9, therefore, I can say this with all authority, says John. The one who says he is in the light and yet is hating, present tense, is hating his brother, is in the darkness until now. In other words, here's your next big idea. Knowing God is demonstrated by love for God's people. 
John says, it just makes sense. God is love. He lives in you. It's going to change the way you deal and love and treat other people, particularly the people of God. Now, John gets a dig in here in verse 9. You may not catch it. He says, the one who says he's in the light, who is that? That's these false teachers because, remember, their claim was, oh, we're enlightened. Oh, we have super knowledge that you don't have. And they begin to be superior in their understanding or what they thought about themselves opposed to everybody else. And they had nothing to do with common, everyday, ordinary Christians. That's the, what was going on. John's writing to these super elite, these super enlightened. And he says, listen, the one who says he's enlightened, if he's not loving other people and there's not a tangible expression of the love of God, that person, they're walking in darkness. Oh. So the way we deal with people, knowing God is demonstrated by love for God's people. God is love. He's in us. Now this love, and we'll walk through this as we go through 1 John, but this love is characterized by patience. We can take a lot. This love is characterized by activity and kindness it is pursuing others and their good it is fighting for the good of others it is consistent over time it is sacrificial it costs us something it is selfless it is for the good of others it is enduring it is loyal it is all these things because that's the way Jesus manifested and lived it out and demonstrated it to the world now if you have any any misunderstanding when the Bible says love one another, obviously we don't do that perfectly because we're fallen people. We know that. But when he says love one another, it doesn't mean that we always agree. And it doesn't mean that even we always like each other. Have you ever hunt around some other believers and you walk away and, you know, you know you're supposed to think, man, that guy's just weird. Right? Don't quit pointing fingers, please. And by the way, if you, if you think, yeah, I've said that, I guarantee somebody said that about you. <laughs> right? Now watch this. The type of love John is describing here is this. It does not surprise me ever, personally, when true believers have conflict. Expect it. What continues to shock me, and I'll be real honest, is evidence of what's truly in the soul is when believers have conflict and they, by the grace of God, do nothing to pursue one another through the conflict to rec reconciliation on the other side of the glory of God. That is a horrible witness to the watching world. We're not always going to agree. We're not always going to like each other, but there is an enduring nature to the love of God that we are to have toward one another that fights through the trouble, fights through the challenge, comes through on the other side, reconciled. You may agree to disagree, but man, I'm going to fight for this relationship because of the Spirit of God in me. He never lets me go. Man, don't cheapen the grace of God by walking away too quickly from relationships within the body of Christ. And I have about 30 illustrations going through my head right now, and I'm not going to chase any of them, all right? Just, you get it. Moving on. Moving on. He says this kind of love that's demonstrated here that he's talking about that is a new love. And we talked about it a little bit. What does that mean, a new love? Why is it new? 
Remember the command that they had heard for so many years had gotten so distorted in their understanding and so distorted even in the Jewish world many times. It had become very narrow in its scope and just for the Jewish people, so to speak. And that had gotten distorted a little bit. And John comes back and he says, no, no, listen. And he had to have some things in Jesus' mind when he said this. He, I, I think he had to hearken back to there was an occasion at a well when a Gentile woman was there. And she was, she was living in sin. And yet Jesus reached out to her and showed her love. And that's incredible kind of love what's this that passes all types of human barriers that we set up that kind of love he had to have the, he had to have in my in his mind when he says this the night before Jesus was crucified and all the disciples were gathered around the table and they were eating the Lord's Supper and they had transformed Passover into the Lord's Supper and nobody had bothered to get up and wash anybody's feet and they'd been walking around in the muck and the mire of the day. In fact, when they got there, the disciples had been saying, well, who's the greatest? Well, I think I'm the greatest. <laughs> well, I think Peter's the greatest. Well, I think I'm the greatest. And they're jawing about that? He says in John 13, Jesus got up from the table the Son of God who created all things and holds all things together knelt down and got a towel and wiped the manure and the grime from between the toes of John and John has to remember that and goes it is a new commandment I saw it lived out in a way I've never seen it before perfect love perfect and you know he had you know he had that moment of standing at the foot of the cross because he was the only disciple that was there and seeing the Son of God hanging on the cross. And that's why he says what he says in 1 John 3.16. And we'll get there in a few weeks. But he says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Because of Christ in us. The love that Jesus demonstrated he says was in him remember verse 8 and now it's in you meaning because of God in you you now have the same capacity to show that kind of love wow meaning the love that believers demonstrate toward one another and the love that believers should demonstrate to a watching world should be light years beyond what is seen in our world today. Light years. He goes on. We'll, we'll wrap up. So big idea number four. I've given you three. I'll, I'll give you just one more. The third one was knowing God's demonstrated by love for God's people. We're, our time is up. This will be quick. Number four. Loving others guards and guides our lives. Where do you get that from? Look in verse 10. He says, Whoever loves his brother is abiding or abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. What does that mean? Stumbling is when something's placed there or we place something in someone's path that they stumble over and causes them to sin. John says, if love is your motive and love is your goal, not hatred, and by the way, listen to this, it's really easy for us to read this and go, well, I don't hate, man. There's nobody on earth I hate. Let me use another word. Selfishness. Same thing. The ultimate expression of selfishness is hatred. You'll get there. Left to ourselves, we act selfishly. 
Left to myself, I act selfishly because the world revolves around me. But the love of God changes all that, and I begin to love toward others. I don't, I'm not the center of the world anymore. So he says this, if you're acting selfishly, and your decisions are made from selfishness, you're going to stumble over all kinds of things. You're going to stumble over covetousness. Because your friend is going to get something that you really wanted, or your friend is going to get that award, or the brother in Christ is going to be honored, and you didn't get honored, and you're all frustrated, and you're fussing, and you stumble over covetousness rather than love that says, I'm glad for my friend's success. Watch this. If love is your motive in your marriage and your marriage is going to be characterized by selfless love that endures. But if your marriage is characterized by selflessness, you'll stumble over bitterness towards one another when your marriage partner doesn't do what they're supposed to do or act the way they're supposed to act or whatever they get. And you forget you're married to fallen human beings. But love says, I have a power to love beyond who they are because of Christ who lives in me. See? love is your goal you won't stumble over watch love is your goal you won't stumble over passivity we stumble over passivity as people of God sometimes and we see a brother or sister going in a certain direction or we see a marriage headed in a certain direction and because we don't want to hurt somebody in the moment or we, we're, we're selfish ultimately we won't go to that person in love and a year later you see the family unraveling or the child gone astray and it should break your heart because God put on your heart true love speaks truth to one another don't stumble over passivity John says, if you're walking in the light, there's no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, and we'll wrap it up with this. Our team can come on up and just begin to play. But he says this in 1 John 2, 11. He says, but the one who hates his brother, and again, the one who's acting selfishly, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What does that mean? means basically this, that hatred or selfishness always distorts our perspective. Always. Left to ourselves, we'll always choose selfishness in our own way. And if your life over the last year, five years, ten years, even though you may say you know Christ, is characterized by selfishness and your own way, and rather than love toward others, then John says you are walking in darkness. But in the same way, he says, to those who know Christ, when you look back over your life for the past year, five years, ten years, since coming to know Christ, is your life characterized by a yearning to serve others? Perfectly? No, man. But there's been a change in the way you see people. There is a longing to help and serve and for their good. There's a longing to make Jesus known. And there's a longing to share truth. There's a love there that wasn't there before. And by the way, you didn't manufacture it. It's the love of Christ in you. John says to that person, that's the one who's abiding in the light. John Stott says this, and I'll close. The true Christian who knows God and walks in the light both obeys God and is loving others. The genuineness of their faith is seen in right relationship with God and others. 
It is love which sees straight, thinks clearly, and makes us balanced in our outlook, our judgments, and our conduct. It's love. How can we know who knows God? What's down in a well of our soul will always come up in a bucket. Does your life demonstrate a know, knowing God in this way? Or as you look at the pattern of your life, there's simply no evidence there or very little of knowing God. Just bow your head with me. We're going to have a time of response. I just want you to kind of take a minute and don't worry about anything else. Just this condition of your own soul right now and you before the Lord. And and truth like this and a message like this, there is without a doubt some of you in this room that are wrestling with some stuff. Some of you in this room maybe a true believer, but boy, you've been wrestling with assurance for all kinds of sorts of reasons. I pray today that the book of 1 John is so helpful for you. And there are some of you in this room who are wrestling with, man, when I look at my life, there's just no evidence there. What does that mean? When we dismiss in just a few moments, I encourage you, don't leave here today without talking to somebody. We're going to have our response room ready at the top of the stairs. There's people there ready to meet with you and talk with you and pray with you and walk through. What does it really mean to know God? And do you really know God? How can you come to know Him? Don't leave this morning with those questions unanswered. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to stand and sing. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this truth. Trust you and ask you now to take this word and sink it down deep into our souls. For Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing as our team leads us?